Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. We've got Glenn with us this morning, which is fantastic. He's going to be kicking off our Advent series. Uh, looking forward to this. But why don't you join me uh, in praying for Glenn? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you uh, again for this season of Advent, a season to wait, to wait upon you in expectation, but to be reminded of the waiting of your son Jesus as he came into this world to reveal the Father to us. And Lord, we just pray for Glenn. We thank you for him. We thank you for the way in which he serves us in this community. And Lord, we especially thank you for the way he's serving us this morning by bringing your word to us. We ask that all that he's prepared and thought about, Holy Spirit, would you just speak through him? Would you just, um, yeah, bring his words uh, to bear on us in a way that would just draw us ever closer to yourself? And Lord, would you just bless him as he speaks? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. Good to be here this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, which actually most of you do because there's some on the thing in front of you, uh, if you could turn to John chapter 1, we're going to be exploring a passage from John chapter 1 uh, this morning. I'll even help you out. In the New Testament section, it's on page 70. So there you go. Um, uh, it's brilliant to be here on a day of baptisms. Um, you know, sometimes people have said to me in the past about getting baptized, they've said, well, you're, you're going to push me under the water, and how am I going to get back up out of the water? Like, you're, surely you're not that strong. And I always just say, well, trust me, your body goes into shock very quickly at the cool water, and you get yourself out no matter what. And that kind of happened uh, this morning. And, I mean, slightly too much information from John. Somebody's going commando now. We don't know who it is, <laughs> but somebody is. Uh, so we're taking a break from the Practicing the Way series this morning to explore the first Sunday of Advent and just on the way up in the car this morning, Seth, 10 years old, here at the front, I have permission to, to say this, but he says to me, what are you speaking about? And I said, Advent. And he said, you don't know anything about Advent. You haven't even got us an Advent calendar yet. So <laughs> there's parent and feel there. Um, but Advent comes around every year. We join with millions of Christians around the world as we step into this part of the church calendar. And it's really actually the first day of the church year is the 1st of December, Advent. And uh, we join with millions of Christians around the globe as we celebrate together the birth of Jesus and what that means. And uh, as I've kind of come on a bit, I've gone through life, I've learned to appreciate the church calendar more and more as we cycle around this. We cycle Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and then into ordinary time. And we go round and round this cycle. And as we come through these seasons, I've come to appreciate that the reason, uh, you know, maybe we need to cycle around these is because we forget things and we need to be reminded of them each year. And as we come back round to Advent, there's things that we need to be reminded of again. Um, Advent, the Latin word just means coming. 
And that's what we celebrate this morning. So let's read the passage, John chapter 1. You have it in front of you. I'm going to read it, and it's going to be on the screen. So that's already good. That makes it easy, except there's three different versions of the Bible. You've got one version. I'm reading from one version. There's another version up there. So it's actually more confusing. But anyway, let's read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as we read that, just may God speak to us this morning. May he bless us as we dive into his word. Now, I wonder if I was to ask you a question. I'll not have a show of hands or anything, but if I was to ask you a question, what is the Christian story all about? What's the Christian story all about? You might come up with all kinds of answers. You might say, well, the, the Christian story is about getting to heaven when we die. Uh, the Christian story is about becoming a better person. The Christian story is about finding meaning and purpose in our lives. The Christian story is about having divine help and a sense of, uh, of support from God whenever we are struggling. Uh, you might give me an answer like that. Basically, that the Christian story is about helping us get from here to here, whether that's uh, from kind of a life without purpose to a life with purpose, struggling, suffering, to not struggling and suffering, here on earth to there in heaven. You might answer in such a way that the Christian life is basically about helping us get from A to B. But Advent reminds us and recalibrates our brains and reorientates us that although all these things might be true to an extent, the Christian story is not really about how we get anywhere at all. The Christian story is not about how people get to God or how people get to heaven or anything like that. The Christian story is about God coming to people. It's not about how we get there. It is about how he has already come here. And that might sound like a, a subtle difference, but it actually is huge and it makes all the difference in our lives. And that's what I want to help us kind of just explore this morning. So John opens up uh, his account of Jesus' life with familiar words. If you've read the Bible at all in any way, these words at the start are very familiar. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now, what do these words remind you of? What do they remind us of? Genesis 1. Right, we'll get there. Genesis 1. Yeah, so it, the front page 1 of your Bible there, you might want to look it up. It's Genesis 1. Now, this is no accident. John does not start his story about Jesus without a lot of thought. John wants us to think about 
Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. In movie terms, I would think about it like this. You've got the original Star Wars movies, right? Uh, those three original ones from back in the day, they're, the, they're the, the Star Wars stories. You've got the other three that were made in the 90s, that's the prequels. And then you've got the slightly more recent ones, which are sequels, but you've got an interesting one, which is Star Wars number uh, seven, The Force Awakens, right? You know the, the film, The Force Awakens. Now, it's not a sequel as such, it's not a prequel, it's, it's what they call a requel, which is a terrible word, I don't know who makes these things up, but it's a requel. In other words, it's not a prequel, it's not a sequel, it's kind of a sequel, but it actually is kind of the same plot as the original film. And if you've seen the original Star Wars and then watched The Force Awakens, it's, it's kind of like the same plot, but twisted and updated and, you know, it's the same characters, but it's slightly different. It's called a requel. There you go, learned a new word today. If you've seen the most recent Scream film, by the way, which, you know, I think it's pretty good. Um, but, you know, uh, they talk a lot about that. And that. It's a requel. It's the same as the original Scream film, but it's different. Now, this is kind of what is going on with John here. He's saying that in the beginning, God created this world. What he's saying is that my story about Jesus is also a story of the creation of a world. And you see the parallels here between the texts. God, it begins with God. God speaking a word that creates a world and brings life and light overcoming darkness. John is signaling us to us here that the story he is about to tell about Jesus is not just about a wise moral teacher. It's not about a freedom fighter who came to bring liberation from the Romans for the oppressed Jews of the time. It's not just some kind of religious figure that he's going to tell us a story about. It's something far bigger than that. John is saying, what I'm about to tell you about is, the cre is about the creation of a new world. In the beginning, God created. He spoke a word and life and light came into being. And here John says, in the beginning, this word did the same thing. And I'm about to tell you about God's recreation of the world. Now, that is, that is kind of mind-blowing as a concept. That God is remaking the world with Jesus at the center, with light overcoming darkness. So let us just not think about Advent as, you know, we're remembering the birth of this important figure, and it's quite an interesting thing. We are celebrating the reality that God has come into the world to remake it. He's come into the world to unwind all the wrongs that have been done. And if you look at verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Other translations say the darkness does not comprehend it, or we heard this morning, the darkness cannot extinguish it. The Christian story is not about people getting to God, it's about God coming to people to remake his world. And as we continue in the text, we read about a different John, not John who wrote this John, uh, but a different John, John the baptizer. John who came baptizing people into this new world, just as we have seen today. This is not just like Oh, I'm going to get baptized because I'm really serious about my faith or something like that. It is that, but it's also 
I'm getting baptized because I'm stepping into a new reality. You go under the water, you're dead to the old reality, you come back up to life, awaken to this new reality with Jesus at the center. So John came baptizing, and if you read the text, the word light is everywhere. It's like seven times in three verses. The light is coming. He says the true light, in verse 9, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this light is everywhere and for everyone. The Jesus story is for all. It is for everywhere and everyone. It's available for us all. Uh, And John tells us in these verses that not everyone recognizes this light or receives the light, but the people who do receive it have the right, have the power to become sons and daughters of God. Now, this tells us something about the nature of faith. Because think about it like this. If you're in a dark room, uh, the lights are off, you know, maybe, maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and your room's pitch black, but you're busting to go to the toilet and you get up and you're scrambling about and you can't see. Uh, and then somebody switches a light on. You don't actually have to do anything to receive that light. Do you know what I mean? The light just comes on and then all of a sudden you can see where you're going. You don't have to do anything to receive it. I mean, sure, you can hide away from the light. You can say, well, I don't want to look at that. Or for some bizarre reason, you can kind of pretend the light isn't there and stumble your way through. But actually, all that you need to do to receive the light is just live with the light on. You just live in the reality of the light. That The light is on, I can see now, and I'm going to live in that reality. That's, that's what faith is. Faith is not so much we need to work something up or... We need to believe a list of things or we need to get ourselves somewhere. It is, is simply going, there is a new reality. I'm going to live with the lights on. I'm going to live in the reality that Jesus is king. I'm going to live in the reality that God has come to earth already. I'm going to live in the reality that I am a dearly loved son, daughter of God, just as I am now. Now, as we walk in the light, we change and we grow and we become different, but we don't actually have to do anything. We walk in the, we just receive the light. And I want to encourage you this morning just to rest in that because so many of us struggle in our faith. Uh, So many of us, our faith is actually characterized more by uncertainty and doubt and not really being sure than it is with certainty. Uh, Nick Cave is one of my great musical heroes and he has an amazing book that has just come out a couple of years ago. He lost his son his 15-year-old son died tragically in an accident. Nick Cave, you don't know him, heroin addict for most of his adult life, uh, brilliant musician. But he has this really interesting faith. And that's what he said. He just says, I, 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 even when I was addicted to heroin, I went to church. He says, that is the place where faith and doubt, certainty and uncertainty can coincide with each other. He says, that's why I love the Christian story, because it is not about having certainty and having everything all sewn up. He says, my faith is characterized as much by doubt and being unsure as it is about surety. And that is the reality of it. When the light switches on, we can see. We don't know everything. We are not sure about everything, but we just have to, faith is just receiving that. We don't need to work our way up to a certain standard. And that's really liberating. So I want to encourage you today, if you feel, oh, my faith is so fragile, it's so faltering, it's so failing, I, I have more questions than answers, that's fine. Receive the love of God shown to us in the face of Christ.
Christian story. It's not about people getting somewhere. It's not about us working our way up. God has made his way to us. We come in uh, verse 14 to the pinnacle moment of this passage. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. This word that John is referring to in, John, in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the word and the world was created. God breathed, because that, that's what, is, what, is, what are words? Words are breath over a voice box. So God breathed and this whole world came into existence. And you want to talk about the mechanics of that and what was that? Did seven days or whatever? Another, ta- another time. The principle is God spoke and the world was created. That all of, the, all of the creative power of the infinite God was contained within this word. And John identifies this word, this creative word with Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, everything was made. This word that holds all of the cosmic potential of time and space wraps itself up in blood, in bone, with lungs and a liver, with knuckles and kneecaps, with toes and fingers and hair and random places that would rather not have hair. This creative word shrinks down into a tiny little baby. And this is what makes the Christian story so radically different. I mean, I've said this already several times. We don't need to work our way anywhere. God has made his way to us. Charles Wesley, great hymn writer, Methodist hymn writer, has a brilliant hymn, and uh, it's one of those ones you'd kind of love to sing it, but you just know the tune would be absolutely terrible. Um, so if someone could like, rewrite the tune, I don't know. But it talks about how God is infinite and powerful and worthy of all our worship and the, you know, the, the biggest being in the whole universe. And he says, this God, our God, contracted to a span. I, I just love that little phrase, contracted to a span. In other words, to a hand breadth span. The span of your hand, our infinite God, just like this. It's like, you know, fireworks, if you could explode them and then put them back in the box. Or it's like, it's kind of not really like this, but it is sort of like this. It's like Robin Williams' uh, genie in Aladdin, right? Do you know the genie I'm talking about? And he says, there's a bit where he just says, phenomenal cosmic power. Anybody live in space? It's, it's kind of a bit like that. Like we have this infinite God he says, no, I'm going to lay all of that aside and I'm going to come to people. And it's in this that we see the glory of God. This word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, you might say, well, that's really good. But if you deep, dive a little bit deeper into the language there, it, uh, if you read the message version, it says this, this, the word became flesh and pitched his tents among us. And kind of that is getting closer to, us, closer to it. But the actual word is tabernacled that this infinite word tabernacled itself, himself, among the people. Now, what is the tabernacle? In the Old Testament, uh, the people were traveling around the desert, and God commanded them to make this tent. And this tent was called the tabernacle. It was also called the tent of meeting. And they had all these, uh, if you read Deuteronomy, you'll see half the book is basically instructions how to build a tent. So, you know, 
I don't know, uh, Joel and Lucas, where you are, you, you might want to read that, you know, but tense. Um, but the tabernacle traveled with the people, and the tabernacle was the place where you went to meet God. It was the place where God lived. It was a thin place. It was where heaven and earth overlapped. You know, there was kind of like a consciousness, like God is everywhere, but God is especially in this tent. The thing about this tent was there was a whole rigmarole to get near it. Um, Only particular people could go there at only particular times, and they had to follow particular instructions. And everyone else, this tent was like, whoa, God's over there somewhere in that tent, but we can't get near And then as the people settled, they built a temple, and it was kind of the same principle. The temple was the place where heaven and earth overlap. It was like, if you want to see what God is like, go to the temple. You go to the temple. You can only get so far. You've got to sacrifice on your way in. The the women can only get so far. The Gentiles can only get so far. Uh, the, The men can only get so far. But this great high priest, he's allowed right the way in once a year, but they tie a chain around his leg so that if he falls down dead, they can pull him out because no one else is allowed to go in. That is all the imagery that would be popping off in people's minds when they read this. That this, this, this infinite God tabernacled himself among us. So no longer for a particular people at a particular time with a particular process and set of instructions. Now the tabernacle is for everyone. If you want to know what God is like, you don't need to look at the temple anymore. You don't need to look at the sacrificial system. You look at Jesus. If you want to know how to get to God, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to experience a thin place between heaven and earth where the infinite and the finite meet, you look at Jesus. And we don't have loads of time to talk about this, but then what is the New Testament develops this thought even further? And what... What is the temple? The temple is the church. The church becomes the tabernacle. The church becomes the place where heaven and earth meet and where people come to meet God. See, this Christian story is not about us getting somewhere. It is about him coming to us, remaking the world with Jesus at the center, pressing back darkness, bringing life, where Jesus is now the tabernacle, the presence of God among us. See, Advent is not about you, it is not about me, it is God inviting us to participate in this new reality with a remade world with Jesus at the center. So what? I mean, great, but so what? I've just got three things that I want to say, so what? Uh, And then we'll come to the table. So the first thing is that he commissions the church to live in this reality and do the same. This this impulse from God is not to sit high above, to judge, to look over, to just let people do their own thing. That's not God's impulse. God's impulse is to enter into the world and to bring life and light to all people, to correct the injustice of sin and death and destruction. And so he invites the church to have the same kind of impulse, not for the church to sit above the world, not for the church to sit alongside the world, kind of in judgment or whatever, but actually for the church to enter in to the pain and the problems of the world, to work for light and life for all people, to correct injustice, to call out the principalities and powers, and to invite people into the life of Christ. Um, I work for a Christian aid and development agency, 
Now, it's a charity, but what we do is not actually charity. What we do is justice. It, it is not about, you know, handouts to people or whatever, and like saying, oh, it's not terrible, we'll have compassion you from this place of superiority. It's saying, we are the church, we are to work for justice in this world. Because let me tell you, and this is true here, and it's true all around the world, that the evils of the root cause of poverty are basically all of the time because of decisions made by other people. Basically, that's poverty. Now, there are, there, are, there, are, there are things that are out of people's control, but most of the time, people are impoverished because of decisions other people have made. It is not just the fault of this person or of whatever. It's because of decisions that people have made. And so we are called as the church to push against that and say, oh, well, yeah, it's all very good. We can give you food and give you handouts and that sort of stuff. But actually, what's the root cause? It's someone else's bad decisions. And we call for justice. That is this incarnational impulse. The incarnation of God is the invitation from God for us to engage with the problems in our world, not just to sit on the sidelines. Uh, you know, we have, do not have the luxury of having our heads in the sand to the problems of the world because our God did not do that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the question of what do we do with suffering and pain? Uh, no, I'm obviously not going to answer that question in like three minutes. But a number of years ago, I was able to sit and have a coffee with... Uh, no, it was supposed to be one coffee, and it became two coffees, and it became three coffees, and I think ultimately it became four coffees, and I nearly passed out and had to go home. But it was with a guy called Munther Isaac, now, Munther Isaac is a Palestinian theologian. He's based in Bethlehem Bible College. He's, uh, he's, his voice is kind of amplified at the minute because of everything that's going on with Israel and Gaza. But I sat with him and I learned so much from that simple conversation over three hours or so. I learned so much about the history of Palestinian Christianity, about the conflict, about its complexities, about its parallels with here. Um, Wonderful man, but he, he has a quote that I've seen him post on his social media quite often over the, last, uh, over the last while, and he simply says this, where is God in war? God is under the rubble. Where is God in war? God is under the rubble. God does not wave a flag. God does not take one side over another. The only side that God is on is on the ones who are suffering under the rubble. I had an Old Testament professor one time, and he said, the thing you've got to remember, and this is where you've got to just drill this into us, is that the way, the, the, the way that God's economy is set up is bottom-up and a bias to the poor. So God doesn't take sides, but he does. Actually, he takes the side of the poor. He takes the side of the suffering. He takes the side of those under the rubble. So the side is not these guys, the good guys versus the bad guys, the red versus blue or whatever. It's, it's those who are oppressing and those who are oppressed. And he says, Mother Isaac says, the, better, the, the question is not asking suffering, where is God? The question asking suffering is, where is the church? And how are we interacting with it? See, God's approach to suffering, and this is, uh, this is true of like these geopolitical conflicts and also of our own lives. God's approach to suffering is, is actually not necessarily to, bring, uh, to deliver us from it, to take it away from us, but it's to enter it with us. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if you know this, right? But one thing that's guaranteed in life 
is suffering and pain. Uh, not that we particularly love Nietzsche, but he says, you know, to be human is to suffer. Be cheery thought, right? But it's kind of true. And, you know, God knows I've experienced pain and suffering and trouble in my life, in my journey. And many of you have as well. Or you might be right in the middle of it. And if you haven't experienced it, he had to tell you, you probably will. But God's approach is to sit with us in it, to be with us in it. He often doesn't remove it, but he joins us in it. He gets it. He is the suffering God. You know, we're going to come to the table where we are remembering that God, the God we worship is the God who actually suffers. He takes on the pain and the sin and the suffering of the world. And, you know, for, if you're walking in pain today, we can't promise to take it away. We can't promise to, you know, make a, put a positive spin on it. But what we can say is that the God that we worship, the Jesus that we come to here is the word who became flesh. He suffered from deity to humanity, he suffered to come and live in a frail body that doesn't work properly sometimes, and he ultimately suffered death on the cross. So we're called as a church to enter into the problems of the world. We are called to, you know, to suffer, but with God with us. But, and the third and final thing is, though, that this means, because of this truth about Advent, God coming to the world, is that we can be people of hope, great hope. So the Christian story is about God having already come to us. It's not about us having to work our way up to it or get it or impress him or get him to, please, Lord, come and help. This, you know, it, this is greatly freeing to us that in the middle of a world that often seems full of darkness and of despair, that we can be people of hope because our God has already come. We can defy the darkness. It does not have the last word. We are people of hope because this word became flesh. Now we're going to come to the table as we finish. And this is a tangible reminder of what I'm saying here, that the Christian story, your faith is not about you really doing anything. It is not about you having to prove yourself. It's not about having to believe certain things. It's not about having to be certain in any way. It is simply bearing witness to the fact that the light has come into the world, that Jesus has come, that God has come, and the world now looks different. It's a tangible reminder that God has entered into our frailty and our fragility. And at the cross, he endured it all and was completely spent by it but God's power raised him up again, and that is what we identify with. He was raised up as the firstborn of this new creation that we now participate in as a kind of signpost to what the future should look like. And he invites us all to receive it and walk in it as we go out of these doors today. And one thing about communion, sometimes you know, we slip up in our language, and it's the same with baptism as well. We say, well, I'm going to take communion you might say, well, it doesn't sound, what's wrong with that? You don't take communion, you receive communion. It's not something that we take, it's something that God has given us that we receive. And you see the difference there? And the same about baptism. We don't, we, we don't kind of act our way into getting baptized. We res- that's not our sign to God that we're really serious. Baptism is God's sign given to us that he's really serious. That he's really serious about the new world and the new life. So we're going to receive communion today. We're going to receive it as God has come. 
into the world. Thank you, God. We're going to bring our trials, our questions, our suffering, our pain, our uncertainties, our hopes, our dreams, our fears. We're going to bring it and say, God, here it is. Let us participate in your new world. So I want to invite you to stand and the band can come up. And just as we do that, um, I'm going to pray. So let's just still our hearts. And Lord, I, I want to pray for us this morning that, that we would be encouraged by this truth, that this awesome infinite word took on flesh. Lord, we want to celebrate this morning that we do not need to prove ourselves, to work our way up or anything like that, but simply we need to receive you, receive your light, receive your life. And Lord, we open our hearts to you now to receive your life. And Lord, I want to pray for those this morning who are carrying even just right now uh, struggles in their hearts and minds, uh, questions and doubts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just minister to them now in this space, uh, that you would make the reality of your incarnation known in their hearts, that although we may not have all the answers, we do have God who has come through it all before us and walks with us. Lord, we pray for us as a church and for this city that in, where, in which we live. We pray that we would take on that impulse that you have first shown us to move towards the suffering and pain of the world, not to move away from it, but to move towards it and to declare your life and light over it. And we ask over this uh, season, Lord, that you would reshape our hearts and minds to know that you are the God who took on flesh. You do not sit far away from us, but you draw near. And so we receive uh, the bread and the wine and the juice this morning in faith. We receive it as a reality, Lord, that you lived, you died, you rose. You invite us to new life. And we bring all of ourselves to you as we take uh, these steps forward to the front of the room to receive communion. Amen. So let's come forward as we sing in our own time. You don't need to rush it. You can take the time. Just be with the Lord where you are and then come forward to receive uh, communion. <laughs>